Become our friend on Facebook. Post on our wall your thoughts about our shows and network. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaBusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network show and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. I'm uh, really happy to be with you again today. I'd like to remind you that I'm also the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks. There I try to pick out some some good investments uh, that fit into the overall macroeconomic scenario as I see it and as uh, I would say a lot of the people, a lot of the guests on this show see uh, the situation. Today's uh, main guest will be Ian Gordon who uh, takes a view, more of a deflationary view, uh, one that I think is well worth uh, looking at more on Ian and his views in a moment. Uh, I'd like to also tell you that um, uh, that I am also uh, the president of a company called Taylor Hard Money Advisors, and it is uh, that that company is in partnership with Roger Wiegand, who publishes Trader Tracks, and Chen Lin, who publishes What Is Chen Buying, What Is Chen Selling, and we do have introductory offers for all three of those letters separately. And I call my assistant in New York, Claudio Bassi, at seven one eight four five seven fourteen twenty six seven one eight four five seven one four two six or you may want to just go directly to miningstocks.com, miningstocks.com, and you can uh, check in uh, on all of those letters there. The best place to go for everything that I'm involved with, including those newsletters, is J. Taylor Media. That's my first name, J-A-Y-T-A-Y-L-O-R, media.com. There you can access this show very easily, all three of those newsletters, as I say, and a lot of other things that I'm involved with. Uh, I do want to thank each of you for listening to this show, making it still by far and away the number one show on the Voice America Business Channel. I also want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. Uh, For the first hour of today's show, our sponsors are Paramount Resources, Prophecy Platinum, American Manganese, Rye Patch Gold, and American Bonanza. Well, we've had a great number of responses to last week's show, our main guest with Dr. John Coleman, uh, and I have to say that uh, we have barely scratched the surface with respect to what this man has to say and has to offer. I am really 
hopeful of getting him on the show again, and specifically I want to talk to him about a book he's written called The Tavistock Institute, a very fascinating book. I am more convinced than ever uh, that the title of my show last week uh, that suggested that the British royalty has clandestinely reclaimed the American colonies is a correct view of history and that Ron Paul represents another revolution to take them back again from uh, the powers that be, the powers behind the throne and the throne itself. I hope, uh, as I say, to have Dr. Coleman back on to talk more in detail. The Tavistock Institute really deals with this notion that we have... Um, uh, that, that, that the pr- a major propaganda machine that was initially instituted back in the early 1900s to convince the British people to get into uh, World War I and then to convince the American people that they should do the same thing, uh, that is to organize sentiment, pro-war sentiment, uh, was used in the Tavistock Institute very cleverly, uh, orchestrated a mood change in the populace in both America and in England to get us into the first war, and I believe, I'm more convinced than ever, that much the same thing is going on now with the propaganda that we have relative to uh, to what's going on in the world today, uh, Iran being probably the most, uh, the current example of, of uh, this propaganda. It is my, uh, um, I do believe uh, that it's very easy to see now uh, why Ron Paul is being treated the way he is by the major media. It is a uh, it is a distinct difference, and if you do want to have one person, if you really wanted to have a debate, it would be between Ron Paul and, and Mr. Romney now, I believe, because they do provide opposite sides, very, a very distinct difference in, in view of the, of the world. Uh, and, of course, uh, I'm not hiding the fact that I'm very much uh, on the side of Ron Paul in my view, and uh, that is where my bias is. We will, uh, of course, welcome a contrary opinion. Certainly, it's out there. I don't think... The purpose of this show is necessarily to highlight the status quo because God knows you don't have to go very far. Just flip on all the major media and you'll have the status quo. Uh, there's no dissension against uh, the powers that be uh, among the major media. We did have some listeners' comments last week, and as I say, most of them were very favorable. There was one person, though, that wrote, and he said, Jay, I've enjoyed your guest viewpoint from... Inception. Now I must say that you monopolized the time that Dr. Coleman should have used to inform us, to hear all about your previous guests and whether the gentleman would agree with them is a true waste of our time. Please let the guests speak their minds fully and not step on them with your interruptions and complaints of almost out of time. End of quote. Well, I, I respectfully uh, understand what you're saying, disagree a bit with that, because this show is bigger than any one person. It's certainly an awful lot bigger than I am. And, and yes, sometimes uh, my wife will be the first one to say that my mouth is a little too big and I should shut up and listen more often. Um, and I try to do that on this show. But at the same time, what I was trying to do and what I try to do on an ongoing basis is to show, is to weave in past guests and how they fit in with the current discussion, and I'm doing that constantly. It wasn't just last week, and, and um, if more of you feel that way, then let me know. I, I want to, my purpose in this show is to try to, to pull together various points of view. For example, we've had uh, Salbucci, Estulin, we've had uh, uh, the Creature from Jekyll Island um, uh, author here. We've had a number of people, Ron Paul, uh, a number of people on the political, geopolitical side of, uh, of um, that are that are involved in that area uh, of of thinking um, that have 
pulled things together pretty well. I mean, we've just an awful lot of guests, and to say that one uh, trumps all the others, but I think it's very important, and it is important to hear. As I said, um, our our guest last week has so much to say, so we're going to get him back on again sometime soon, as soon as possible. There are an awful lot of things to talk about, uh, and today we are going to be talking to Ian Gordon. He is our, our main guest today. As I mentioned a, a moment ago, Ian will be with us. Uh, Ian has talked about a thousand on the Dow and four thousand dollar gold price before uh, this bear market in equities is over. Uh, could very well be the case. We're going to see what Ian has to say today if he still is holding that view, and uh, more specifically, where he, th- where he thinks the markets are headed uh, for 2012. And I am going to have also um, Amir Adnani with me. Uh, he is the president and CEO of Brazilian Resources. He's going to talk to uh, to us um, uh, in the second hour of today's show uh, about uh, his company's gold projects uh, and exploration projects in Brazil. And in just a few minutes after our first commercial break, uh, I am going to be talking with Chris Krupe. He's the president of Paramount Gold and Silver Corporation. That's a New York Stock Exchange listed company with well over uh, 4 million ounces of gold and 100 million ounces of silver and counting in Nevada and Mexico. The upside potential, I believe, for that company is very outstanding. Uh, but before we go to our first break, uh, I believe, I'm not sure if Chen Lin was going to be with me. I'm not sure if he's here or not. Do we have Chen? Uh, no call. Okay, Chen is not with us. All right. Well, I think Chen was prepared to talk about, um, he was going to talk about Prophecy Coal, and Prophecy Coal is a sponsor to this show. They uh, actually, Prophecy Platinum is a sponsor of this show. Prophecy Coal owns a big share of Prophecy Platinum. Prophecy Platinum has a very outstanding uh, project uh, in the Yukon that I actually visited last summer. It's a company that I think uh, is very much worth looking at. It is a recommendation in my newsletter, as is Prophecy Coal. And Prophecy Coal, uh, as I said, owns a big portion of Prophecy Platinum. Uh, that uh, and Prophecy Platinum, I believe, has the prospects for a world-class uh, deposit of, of platinum group metals as well as uh, gold and some base metals in the Yukon. Uh, but Prophecy Coal is a, is a very interesting story as well. Um, they they are located in Mongolia and they are they have a major coal deposit there. But you know, their plans call for the building of a power plant and they will sell electricity into China, which is starving for electricity, starving for energy. And so uh, Prophecy Platinum uh, put out today a positive feasibility study uh, for their mine and mouth uh, power plant project in central Mongolia. We will be having, uh, we don't have a Chen. Uh, for some reason, uh, Chen's not with us. But we will, uh, we will be talking to the president of Prophecy Coal Corp in the not-too-distant future, uh, and we will be talking to him about uh, clearly about the uh, prospects for Prophecy Coal uh, as we go forward. Um, we, we are going to um, we're going to take a break now. We're going to take an early break since Chen is not with us, and then uh, get to our first guest. Uh, oh, we do have Chen. Yes. Hi, oh, we do have Chen. Okay. All right, Chen. Um, we were just going to take an early break because you weren't here. But let's. Uh, you Prophecy Coal. Can you tell us? Uh, they put out. Could you highlight for our listeners perhaps uh, what the news is today? They did put out a positive feasibility study. Yeah, they put out a, a very positive feasibility study. Basically, net asset value, it, it's, it's very high, much higher than the market cap. It's, 
is 365 million. That's just for the power plant, not including the coal mine, and not including property platinum, the, the share they own. So, uh, you know, if you calculate it uh, versus its market cap, it's just amazing. It's turned to be very undervalued. Plus, they mentioned today that uh, they're going to do the financing at the uh, Mongolian subsidiary level, which means, you know, they people, you know, the contractor, assuming the contractor interest in party going to put money in the lower levels instead of corporate levels. There's mm-hmm. no dilution. So it will be a project financing. Is that it, Chen? Yes, a project financing, likely by some Chinese banks, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, they provide very low interest rates. Mm-hmm. So the net present value, um, I don't have the numbers in front of me. What is Prophecy Coal selling at these days? What, what price approximately? Uh, Prophecy Coal selling at a 46, 45 cents right now, and uh, it's a market cap less than 100 million. Less than 100 million. So you're talking about a three. So this is putting a. Is there a, a discounted? Uh, is there a discount applied to this present value, Chen? Yeah, it's 12 percent discount. So quite. 12 percent discount. Mm-hmm. A twelve percent discount takes it to three hundred sixty-five million compared to uh, the hundred million dollar market cap, and uh, and then you say it does not count for its ownership of platinum uh, of of the platinum subsidiary or platinum company. Yes, that's correct. W- what percentage of Prophecy Platinum does Prophecy Coal own approximately? About forty percent, something mm-hmm. like that. So you know, itself worth um, you know if you deduct the Prophecy Platinum. Holdings, profitable coal. You get the coal. Does everything just worth nothing? Almost nothing. No. Oh, so it's, uh, so this would be. Uh, I guess this is a recommendation in your newsletter, isn't it? Right. It, it, the valuation is very low, uh, and it's continued to be very low because people just don't think. You know, they people think they, they need financing to dilute a lot. So actually, it's not true. So they mentioned they're going to do it at. Uh, you know, subsidiary level, so there won't be any financing. I mean, dilution to the current shareholder. So, yeah, that's, so that, uh, that, 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 that's that's very important. And then the money-wise, it just it, it's like people, you know, just stay away from that. They say, oh, it's Mongolia. We don't know that. Uh, that and it's a, it's a you know it's a power station a few years from now. But from other people's point of view, you know, uh, it, it worth a lot of money. Yeah. Uh, Mongolia import most of electricity from Russia. And Russia has been jacking our price. So I also want to mention that the feasibility study, from the company point of view, they don't want to be very aggressive because if it's very profitable, Mongolian government will come back and say, hey, I want to lower the electricity bill. Sure. So, so, th- so it's, this is a, like a, it's just, you know, it's regular feasibility study. Mm-hmm. You know, and maybe well, it's interesting. a little bit. I don't know. It is a very interesting story, Chen, and I know you and I both were visiting the uh, Prophecy Platinum project as well, and that is, is that is also a very, very promising project. Unfortunately, we don't have time to talk about it. We will have John Lee on this show to talk about Prophecy Coal sometime in the future, and I'm sure if you're available, we'd like to have you join that discussion as well, Chen. Yeah. Um, we, we do have to go to break. We have our next guest holding uh, for, uh, that's Chris Krupe um, of, uh, of Paramount uh, Gold and Silver, so he's going to be with us uh, right after the break. Don't go away. We'll be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. In this climate of increasing global economic uncertainty, just one safe haven remains. 
precious metals. Led by a strong, proven management team, Prophecy Platinum is actively developing the Wellgreen Platinum Group metals, nickel, and copper property. A large, easily accessible deposit in the Yukon with an estimated resource of 1 million ounces of PGM and gold indicated and a further 11 million ounces inferred. Large deposit, excellent infrastructure, impressive drill results, and increasing international demand. To learn more about Prophecy Platinum and the Wellgreen Project, visit prophecyplat.com. Paramount Gold and Silver is a U.S.-based exploration company with multi-million ounce gold and silver deposits. Paramount's primary asset, the Sleeper Gold Project in northern Nevada, is located in one of the world's most prolific mining districts. Paramount's gold equivalent resources stand at over 7 million ounces. Paramount trades on the NYSE under the symbol PZG. For more information, go to www.paramountgold.com. Paramount Gold is located for success in gold. Gold and Silver Exploration. Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the causes and solutions to underlying problems. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theory to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to triple the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has been in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights, call 718-457-1426 or visit MiningStocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters. Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the causes and solutions to an underlying problem. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theories to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to quadruple the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has been in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights call 718-457-1426 or visit miningstocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters voice america business network the bottom line in business
listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. I'm really pleased to have with me Chris Krupe. Uh, I, once again, Chris is the uh, president of, and CEO of Paramount Gold and Silver Corp. It's traded on the New York Exchange under the symbol PZG, uh, also under uh, in Toronto under the same symbol. 136.9 million shares outstanding, selling at about $2.35, giving it a market cap of in, the, in the area of about $320 million. Welcome, Chris. Welcome again to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Happy New Year, Jay. Really good to have you back on. Uh, it should be, let's hope it is a happy new year. It's, it was a tough year last year for the share prices of a lot of companies, but certainly your company went forward. You have some very, very good things happening on a fundamental basis. You're operating in northern Mexico and in northwestern Nevada. You have a very impressive gold resource at your sleeper mine where you have 3.74 or 3.75 million ounces, rounding up 8.2 million ounces of silver. But your San Miguel project in northern Mexico is no slouch either. There you have just under a million ounces of gold and 72.6 million ounces of silver. Now, between those two projects, Chris, which do you see as your flagship property? Well, you know, it was Mexico, Jay, and it's starting to move to Nevada, and that's, there seems to be a lot going on there, and it's just grown so quickly, and, and we're so excited about that, the purchase of it and, and what we did in the last year with it. Yeah, well, let's, you have, uh, you're starting a, pre- a preliminary economic assessment, or a PEA for short, there at the sleeper now. It's just starting now. When do you expect to have that uh, completed, and, and then what would be the next step? Well, we're looking at early March to get a final report done. It's being done by a big firm, Tetra Tech, a big engineering firm. SRK has already done the pit design based on the resource modeling they did, so we are well on our way to getting that done, and I think you're going to see some very exciting things come out of that PEA from an economics point of view. Yeah, you know, I was involved with that uh, project, the sleeper, as a banker at Westpac Banking Corp going back uh, into the 1980s when that was the first gold loan made in modern times. It was uh, a, a syndication of banks that lent out uh, a lot of gold uh, to Amex that operated it. At that time, though, Chris, that was we were lending against a very high-grade core section that was, you know, multiple ounces per ton. Now, as I understand it, this project will be an open-pit bulk mineable project. Is that right? Well, that's right, and, um, you know, the economics of, of the environment have changed so much since that time, Jay, and the price of gold is on our side and, and enabling us to do this. Um, but you also have to uh, remember that we've done quite a bit of exploration drilling, um, and there's a substantial amount of gold as well left in the, uh, in the waste dumps, which, which we haven't even quantified, and we're in the process of doing that for the PA. So this thing could get exciting, and, you know, some people put the analogy of Highcroft, Highcroft started as a fairly small deposit and got quite large after it got back into or into production by Allied Nevada over the last few years. Yeah, indeed, Highcroft is a, is a really success story, no doubt about it. Well, you have uh, so can you give us some idea about what sort of average grade you might be expecting there? Well, you know, we're looking at something like a point four grams, point five grams per ton. Uh, depending on the cutoff grade and the pit design that we're using. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, these things tend to um, uh, get better as you, as you mine them. And um, 
it's it, the metallurgy is very favorable here, and mm-hmm. that's always worked well for this project, and and that hasn't really changed. We're in the process of closing off the metallurgical testing, and that will roll into the PA. That's one of the final steps in the PEA to get that done, and and I think uh, all the all the elements you need to make a project work are are, are still at sleeper, and um, uh, gold price being where it is, it's going to make this thing really exciting. You, so you would be looking at a uh, fairly low grade, but I guess bulk mineable and uh, easy metallurgy heat leaching. Yeah, well, there's you know there's the sulfide and the oxides, and and the um, the we're getting some really good uh, leach recoveries, mm-hmm. um, some really uh, let's say quick recoveries of seventy plus percent, and and that's I mean that's that's what's going to make this project work. You mentioned that you hope to have the PEA by March. Do you expect, uh, can we look forward to a, lo- a larger uh, resource number? Because it's already a pretty outstanding number. Well, you're, we're going we're gonna to roll into that PEA. The, um, the, we've, we're running a 65-hole RC program on the, the three waste dumps. Mm-hmm. And we believe we'll add a, a substantial quantity of metal from those. Um, and, and, and those have not been factored in. Um, so we'll, you know, there should be an uptick on the size of the resource. Um, the the pit design is done, Jay. So so what's in situ will be modeled uh, for economics mm-hmm. uh, at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you do have some exploration potential there as well beyond the immediate area. Well, absolutely. We've got 30 square miles of claims. Plus, we picked up another 15 uh, square miles with the uh, with the purchase uh, of some claims between. Frontiers, or now Newmont Sandman and Sleeper. So, so now we're starting to step out into the district and really look at the the future potential. So we're going to be looking at exploration targets while we're working on the engineering of this this mine. Yeah, it's a, it, it really is a very significant deposit, no doubt about it. You have a lot of silver there too. Is that going to be a, I guess, a pretty meaningful credit? Well, it, it, I think it always was in its heyday, and yeah, there's eight million ounces, um, I believe. Um, there's M&I and there's inferred, and the total M&I plus inferred is actually 25, no, sorry, 33 million. So to the extent uh, the recoveries are there, you know, that'll be a, a great effect on the price of the, the cash cost of this, this mine. Chris, on this mine, uh, on this deposit as well as the one in Mexico, do you expect to be operators? Or do well, you, are, are, or is it your modus operandi to find a big deposit and have someone else come in? I note that... Uh, the, as you just talked about, Newmont is uh, at your southern border. Yeah. Well, we, you know, we we never intended to be miners. We are exploration mm-hmm. focused. Um, we've stuck to that. It's done us well. We believe there are people that could mine this better than we could learn to on the job. And um, you know, we'll start that process of looking for a partner shortly. I mean, we 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 would hope to take Sleeper to pre-feasibility later this year. And I think at that point is when we're going to have a real good picture of how this mine will roll out. Yeah. Well, certainly when you start talking about multi-million ounces, you've got some hungry giants in your neighborhood there uh, in Nevada. Let's switch to northern Mexico with a few minutes we have left here. Your project there is a San Miguel. Yes. You have nearly a million ounces of gold there, 72.6 million ounces of silver. How's that coming along? Well, that's wonderful. We have had three core rigs turning for the good part of 2011, the assays are starting to roll back. We put a, retur- a release out last week of some high-grade silver numbers, but I would expect um, for the next uh, several months consistent news releases every two weeks on the drill results from 2011. 
We're going to try and wrap that up with a, with a new resource model estimation done by MDA in, um, in, in this year, in the first half of this year, and rolling into a PEA in Mexico at the end of this year so we can put economics behind it. And I think you're, you're going to find that we're doing some exploration work at the same time. So we're, we're quite busy down there. We're trying to catch up, uh, bring this, you know, move this project along quickly, get it at the same pace as Sleeper. So a PEA by the end of the year? That's, what, the that's exactly what we're shooting for, Jay. Uh-huh. Very, very interesting. Well, it certainly will be. Uh, you know, I guess you've got the, the Don East, Don S. Uh, I don't know how you pronounce it, Don S. A. Vein. Don S. A. That's correct. That is that where the that's where the high grades are coming from that you're well, talking about. Yeah, that's you know one of our three areas of higher grade, and it runs right off the Quarter Lane uh, property. Uh, it's adjacent there too, and you know it's a nice wide quartz vein, just up to 15 meters wide. We're getting you know plus 10 grams per ton of gold plus silver. And we're in the middle of infill drilling that to bring that into the PEA as well. So, you know, we've got a lot of, a lot of things going on in Mexico, a lot of targets and a lot of uh, deposits within that, that little project. Well, collectively, you've got 4.7 million ounces of gold, 106.2 million ounces of silver and counting, because those numbers are likely to go up when you upgrade, you know, when you update your 43101. Uh, do, do you expect, uh, so you, so do you, uh, you, you're burning through about a million dollars a month right now, I believe. Do you have an aggressive drill program going forward next year? And, and if so, how much money do you have in the till to finance it? Well, yeah, we've got about $7 million in the till right now. Jay, we've got Albert Friedberg, our biggest investor at Toronto, has $8 million warrants in the money at a dollar apiece. Uh-huh. So we've got, we've got enough cash to take us through the better part of 2012. If the market, you know, if we need to access the market to, to fund a free feasibility, for example, which we like to do, uh, we we have the ability to do that because we trade over a million shares a day in New York, so it's a very liquid stock. Um, but we're we're at the moment we're fine for cash. Okay. What about uh, just to sum up here? What can you tell our listeners? What are the biggest risks that they would face if they come in and buy your stock now? Why should they be buying it as opposed to the hundreds and hundreds of others out there? Well, we're doing we're doing several things, and they'll get they'll get return in in multiple ways. We're adding ounces, Jay, and we're not only adding ounces. We're adding better quality ounces, which should bring the value per ounce up. Um, not only are we doing that, we're actually demonstrating the economic feasibility, or let's say the economics of these projects. And I think that's the key point where the major miners look to invest in, in projects like this. You know, it certainly is a very interesting story. You've got some uh, some deep pockets behind you and, and a good, uh, well, a lot of good experienced miners with you. Chris, it's a pleasure having you with me again. Thank you very much. I hope to have you on again sometime in the not-too-distant future. Well, folks, don't go away. We're going to be back with Ian Gordon. You talk about somebody who is really bullish on gold. What about 1,000 Dow and a $4,000 gold price? Well, what will that do to gold shares like Chris Krupe's Paramount Gold and Silver? Well, we'll ask Ian when he comes to us right after the break. Don't go away. Okay, Chris. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. In this climate of increasing global economic uncertainty, just one safe haven remains. 
precious metals. Led by a strong, proven management team, Prophecy Platinum is actively developing the well-grained platinum group, metals, nickel, and copper property. A large, easily accessible deposit in the Yukon with an estimated resource of 1 million ounces of PGM and gold indicated and a further 11 million ounces inferred. Large deposit, excellent infrastructure, impressive drill results, and increasing international demand. To learn more about Prophecy Platinum and the Wellgreen Project, visit prophecyplat.com. Paramount Gold and Silver is a U.S.-based exploration company with multi-million ounce gold and silver deposits. Paramount's primary asset, the Sleeper Gold Project in northern Nevada, is located in one of the world's most prolific mining districts. Paramount's gold equivalent resources stand at over 7 million ounces. Paramount trades on the NYSE under the symbol PZG. For more information, go to www.paramountgold.com. Paramount Gold is located for success in gold. Gold and Silver Exploration. Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the causes and solutions to underlying problems. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theory to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to triple the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has been in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights, call 718-457-1426 or visit MiningStocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back uh, to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me one of the more frequent guests we've had on this show uh, by popular demand and also because I just like to talk to him and listen to what he has to say, his words of wisdom. Uh, you know, he's no spring chicken anymore, uh, just like your host, uh, but Ian Gordon is my guest. He has been a very successful stockbroker in the past, but more importantly, I think, uh, from my point of view right now, uh, is that uh, he is also an economic historian. He reads an awful lot of stuff. I mean, I've been to his library and have seen, the, I don't know, hundreds and hundreds of books this guy has, and he reads all the time, and he's packing information away, and then once in a while, once in a while, he writes a little bit. I mean, unlike me, I tend to be, your host tends to be a big talker. 
I talk too much. Somebody just told me that last week. I should have shut up and let my guest talk. And I write and I write an awful lot for my subscribers. And well, maybe I should just shut up and let Ian talk. Uh, Ian is really focused on the Kondratiev winter, which is uh, Nikolai Kondratiev, the great economist, Russian economist who uh, who talked about uh, great economic cycles of credit expansion and contraction. So, Ian, for the sake of the of those who are not really familiar with it, uh, can you give our listeners an overview of the Kondratiev cycle? Uh, I think the thing that we have to understand about it is, you know, we 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 call it a lifetime cycle, Jay. Mm-hmm. So uh, we only live in a meaningful way through one uh, cycle. Now, mm-hmm. When I say meaningful, in other words, say from uh, twenty years. Uh, into our uh, old age, uh, so that's really the the period of, that we live in the cycle. You know, otherwise our parents sort of make the uh, the financial decisions for us for mm-hmm. the first twenty years of our life. So, um, and that's why for most people it's almost very very difficult for them to sort of understand exactly where we are in the cycle. And what we've been able to do, I think. Uh, using Nikolai Kondratiev's work as a sort of the foundation, I think we've broadened uh, quite uh, dramatically what Nikolai Kondratiev ever envisaged when he first uh, wrote about his cycle in sort of the mid 1920s. Mm-hmm. This long uh, cycle of uh, economic uh, expansion and economic contraction. So, if you divide, if you say the cycle is approximately 60, 70 years in length. We've divided into the four seasons of the year, so each of those seasons is approximately a quarter of the cycle, so 15 to 20 years uh, in length. And um, we're now in the fourth uh, long wave or Kondratiev cycle, and uh, this particular cycle started in 1949, and uh, that would begin, the, you know, was the beginning of spring of the fourth cycle, and. That spring ended in 1966, and then we went into summer, and that the summer of, of our present cycle ended between 1980 and 82, and then we went into autumn. And I think the autumn of the cycle is always characterized by the uh, biggest speculative mania within the cycle, uh, particularly in stocks, but also bonds and real estate are also uh, heavily sort of speculated upon, and and um, when the big bull market in stocks ends at the end of that signals the end of autumn and the onset of winter and so uh, we say that the big stock bull market ended in 19 uh, sorry in 2000 january 2000 when the mm-hmm. dow peaked or the nasdaq peaked in march of 2000 and those big uh, stock market peaks heralded the onset of winter and winter is always the, the it's Typically, it's just like the season of winter. The economy dies or goes to sleep so that it can start refreshed in the spring. And the, the economy really is brought down by the overwhelming debt that's been built into the, into the cycle and mostly in the autumn of the cycle. That's when you get the biggest buildup of debt within the cycle. So that debt has to be washed out of the system. And, you know, that process is always extremely painful and it hurts both the creditors and the debtors. So we're now in the winter. We can, you know, I don't think you'd have to be particularly completely living on a desert island with no absolute news to understand that 
right now the debt the debt crisis is very evident uh, almost all over the world so and that crisis is uh, basically taking down uh, the economies the, uh, around the world because uh, they can't uh, continue to uh, manufacture even more debt to sustain their economy. So the debt is being taken out of the system, and that process is going to be extremely painful. Well, the debt is being taken out of the system. At the same time, uh, Bernanke and other central bankers are trying to continue with more and more debt, are they not? And 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 uh, are you convinced, and why, if, if so, um, are you convinced that they will not be successful in printing enough new money to overcome the debt? Well, the debt load worldwide is probably, uh, you, you know, is, is over $200 trillion. So, I mean, you know, when you start to talk in those kinds of numbers, you suddenly realize that the task of, uh, of uh, printing that kind of money is, is an impossible task. And already, you know, we can see that how hard the European Central Bank is trying to uh, keep the euro from uh, starving and and you know they they are definitely printing money in fact the european central bank balance sheet is even has even more sort of uh, loans on it uh, than the um the federal reserve balance sheet so mm-hmm. uh you know they've been taking in all this debt the central bank's been taking all this debt i mean i just read the other day um I think Ron Paul was one of the people instrumental in getting this. Was a, you know, the Federal Reserve was audited, mm-hmm. and um, they, they loaned out sixteen trillion dollars to mm-hmm. various U.S. banks. Of course, they can make that money out of nothing. They simply, you know, do a keystroke. Yeah, that's that's right. So why, you know, I don't I don't see the limits. I don't don't quite understand. For the sake of our listeners, if you could explain. I mean, Bernanke can put any numbers he wants, um, you know, just with keystrokes. So why right. can't they print more money? Well, they, why won't it work? They they can because, but eventually, you know, the whole economy is dependent on the money to function, mm-hmm. and you know, so it has to be passed through the banking system into the economy. It has mm-hmm. to be passed to uh, small businesses who need to borrow to expand their business, has to be passed on to consumers who uh, need to borrow to buy homes and uh, automobiles or whatever. I mean, that's really what the economy is functions on is, you know, is, is that money. Well, it's not being passed through the banks. The banks are simply offloading all the crappy paper that they have on their books. So they're not, you know, the economy is now overwhelmed by the, Massive amounts of debt that uh, exist uh, throughout throughout the system, whether mm-hmm. it's uh, within the within the banks or within the corporations or with the consumers, and we're seeing that really what's happening in the U.S. is that you know they can't sustain the uh, mortgage bubble because uh, you know the whole system is collapsing, and you just can't pump more money into that. Uh, into the housing in the United States. Yeah. Here in Canada, we're, do, we're going to go through the same kind of experience that you're going through at, at the present time. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, I believe that our banks are going to get into serious uh, problems with the amount of consumer debt that's now, Canadian consumer debt, that's now evident in our economy. Okay, Ian, 
I'd like to just uh, pursue this notion, uh, this idea that they that they can't expansion expand the money supply. They can't get the economy to grow. They can't get loans made. And I agree with you. We saw that. I mean, it, it looks to me, from what I read from the 1930s, exactly the same thing. The pushing on the string uh, analogy: you lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. The banks are flush with cash. They've been pumped pumped money, that money that Mr. Greenspan created out of nothing, pumped it into the banks. They're sitting there. They're using that money to speculate sometimes in the commodity markets, driving commodity prices higher. But it seems to me this is a distinction in how I've sort of, and I guess why I lean towards your side of the inflation-deflation argument, is that we are not Zimbabwe. We are a sophisticated credit system and 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 it's not a matter of literally printing money and showering it over the landscape as a more primitive country might do. I mean, we read about German hyperinflation, and I have in front of me here um, a note, a 200,000 mark note from Germany back in 1930, uh, 1923. Uh, you know, I mean, they, they started to print these things on only one side, it was a matter, after a while, of, of literally not being able to print enough money and distribute it over the landscape. It seems to me the argument is that if the policymakers really wanted, and Ian McAvity's talked about this, they should shower the uh, uh, you know the Walmart parking lots with trillion dollar bills or whatever. I mean, wouldn't it conceivably be possible? Of course, the United States is the world's reserve currency; they could kiss that one goodbye. But uh, but isn't it? Um, I mean, is this the difference because we have a sophisticated banking system that is really a, a fractional reserve credit system, money's pumped into the system, and if you can't find credit-worthy borrowers or willing borrowers who are credit-worthy, you can't make the system go. Is that what makes us different? Is that, why, is that a main well, think, argument why you, know, you would be a deflationist? Well, I think that's part of it. Well, you know, debt in itself is, is, is deflationary because all that money, that debt is washing out of the system. Mm -hmm. So as fast as you're putting money into it, it's coming out, you know. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's a terrible picture of um, John Law, you know, the Scottish economist and banker of the 1720s who introduced France to paper money mm -hmm. in the 1720s. And there's a picture of him sort of being fed paper money, or sorry, being fed gold and and you know, and, and he's actually, you know, pooping paper. Yeah. I mean, there's a picture, sort of a satirical picture of this, and, and mm -hmm. this is really what's happening: is you just can't feed the system fast enough. And the other thing about the U.S. banks and and the actually most of the banks is that they are their balance sheets are absolutely crippled with uh, massive amounts of derivatives. I mean, we're talking in notional values anyway, like. You know, I mean, hundreds of trillions of dollars. So uh, they've got so much bad paper on their books, it's almost impossible. You know, as fast as they can, they're going to shovel it off to the Federal Reserve. But the Federal Reserve can't just take it all. It's just impossible to create that kind of money. So the economy is dying, overwhelmed by a massive amount of debt. And that, from our perspective, is extremely deflationary. Yeah. Well, Ian, if that's deflationary now, when we have zero interest rates or very, very low interest rates, what happens? Uh, and and well, first of all, do you? I know we're going to get to this. I want to I want to ask you about this. But where do you think interest rates are going? Because if if we had really high interest rates with the kind of debt we have, what would that do to us? Well, um, you know, a lot of our um, 
our work is you know based on uh, on the on these long waves or long cycles and or Kondratiev cycles and you know we're very much you know we we we're very confident in saying that we're repeating the 30s depression right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and that depression was signaled by the stock market peak in 1929. Our depression was signaled by the stock market peak in 2000. And we know that in the 30s, there was a, a huge uh, world monetary crisis. And effectively, the whole monetary system of the world, which was based... Uh, on a quasi gold standard system collapsed uh, between 1931 and 33 and what happened is the speculators sort of forced countries off the system uh, simply by forcing up interest rates in those countries and we're seeing that really happening in in Europe right now so mm-hmm. you know Greek debt and Italian debt and Spanish debt and Portuguese debt and Irish debt you know they're paying very high interest rates mm-hmm. to uh, to to get it to, to borrow. Yes. And as one country after another was forced off the system in the 30s, the speculators turned their attention to other countries. And eventually, you know, not, uh, fairly quickly, they forced Great Britain, which was a reserve currency, and the pound was considered to be as good as gold, so other countries could have pounds or dollars on their balance sheet in addition to gold. So those two paper currencies were considered to be as good as gold in this monetary system. Well, they turned on uh, after Fr- Austria and Germany went off the system in the early 1930s. They turned on uh, on uh, Great Britain and forced it off the monetary system uh, by taking all the gold out. And the only way Britain could have stayed on the system was by raising interest rates, which she refused to do, and she got forced off. But not only that, then they, they turn their attention to the United States, the world's greatest creditor nation, a country that was filthy rich and, and essentially forced the United States off the world monetary system by taking all the U.S. gold out of it. So, so we're going to see, that, you know, we see really exactly the same parallels occurring this time around. In other words, the weakest, highest debtor nations are going to be forced out first, so Greek Greece is going to be, we think, is going to be forced out of the, out of the euro first because absolutely, you know, interest rates that can't be, can't be paid, and then Italy will probably be forced out, Spain, Portugal, and so on, and and before that happens, maybe Germany just gives up and says we're leaving because it's costing us too much money to try and keep the euro surviving, but then there, once the euro collapses, and we're convinced that it will collapse in 2012. Uh, once the euro collapses, uh, speculators are going to turn their attention to the, high, the other high debtor nations, and I think the next countries that will become the focus of attention will become the United Kingdom and the United States. And so interest rates in those countries will be forced up dramatically uh, for these countries to borrow because people will say that those debts that these countries have, uh, United Kingdom and United States, are... Uh, Simply unsustainable. I mean, your debt's going, the United States debt's going to be over sixteen trillion dollars in short order. Yeah, yeah. It would seem to me that the high interest rate environment would would be the death knell for the uh, for the U.S. dollar. But that is the argument then from the inflationists uh, that that the dollar would would tank and therefore uh, the the inflation rate, the rate that Americans are going to have to pay for whatever they import if they're importing anything in those days. I mean, it sounds like Kondratiev winter would freeze everything up. 
But the argument, the chief argument that John Williams makes and has made on this show in the past for the inflation side is that you're going to have a dollar that absolutely collapses, uh, and then you get inflation. I mean, it makes sense, doesn't it, if we had to pay you know, well, $10,000 for a barrel yeah, of oil or $100,000? You're not going to be paying that because you know, your economy is going to collapse before that. Mm-hmm. And much as the economy of the United States collapsed, uh, you know, after 1929, and particularly after 1931, uh, you know, by 32, 33, unemployment in the United States was 25%. And remember, the U.S. at that time was much more an agrarian economy. Mm-hmm. And what will happen, you know, with that kind of collapse, and you know, you've already got, if you look at John Williams's numbers, your, your unemployment rate really is is sixteen percent in the mm-hmm. United States, not the nine percent that the mm-hmm. government trots out. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, so you have a collapsing economy, so the the demand for things like oil dropped quite dramatically. And of course, what happened in the last depression when the monetary system of the world collapsed, uh, the whole world trade system collapsed. But America was had everything she needed. She mm-hmm. had all the oil. She was an oil exporting nation. Mm-hmm. Um, she had all the oil she wanted. She had all the grains and food she wanted, so that she could survive. And she became isolationist. The United States said, "Okay, we're taking our marbles home. We're going to stay. At, you know, we can mm-hmm. look after ourselves in the United States. We don't need any oil from anybody else. We don't need any foodstuffs. Everything else, you know, we can take look after ourselves." So. This is what's going to happen again. I think the U.S., I'm not sure if she will become isolationist, but um, the fact is that, uh, you know, she will be self-sufficient. She imports about 50% of her oil right now, but, you know, in the last depression, the U.S. economy dropped by 45%. GDP collapsed by 45%. Mm-hmm. So that's half your economy gone anyway. Mm-hmm. So, you'd, you know, you could say that the demand for oil will probably collapse by the same amount. Mm-hmm. Um so these are these are frightening numbers that we're throwing out. But then the the, the numbers that we're throwing out are the numbers of the last depression, mm-hmm. um, and we think this time they're going to be considerably worse because the debt is considerably worse this time. Yeah. Well, on the optimistic side, I was just listening to an analyst on Bloomberg here in New York. Uh, the the U.S. has has a lot of resources yet. We've uh, natural gas that we've found, of course. Of course, uh, Ian, let me remind you, my good Canadian friend, that uh, uh, that you are our neighbors to the north, and we do have yet a very potent military presence. And, of course, you will sell us your oil, won't you? Well, we're, we're trying to. We're trying to build a pipeline for you guys. To, to, and you, you don't want the pipeline to be built. We're trying to... <laughs> feed you our oil, and, and you're saying, no, we don't want this pipeline. So well, that's we're now st- talking about building a pipeline that goes to the West Coast here in, in British Columbia that's going to feed the oil to uh, to Asia. To China, so. Asia, yeah. Well, that's uh, that's another issue. I, I think that the U.S., though, does have a lot of reser- reserves and resources. Of course, we have a lot of people who don't want to exploit them, would rather other countries uh, you know, do it and sell us the uh, the materials, and of course, uh, if we don't have the uh, means to buy those resources, and uh, so, uh, so if we're looking now at Ian at something like um, it looks like a contagion, really, to use a worn-out word, that Greece and the other weaker sisters uh, there in Europe are are going. You know, we're seeing the market speaking with higher interest rates, people demanding 
very high rates of, re- of interest to, to lend money to these riskier countries, and it's just a matter of time before the leprosy spreads to the United States. I, I can buy that. So what is your timing on this thing, though? You, you think that the, Euro, that the European Union, as it exists now with Greece uh, still in there, would be, would be gone by the end of 2012? Do you think it'll break up? I mean, I, I just cannot see it surviving through uh, 2012. Remember, one of the things we do, Jay, is that um, we very much work with the, 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 the sort of the gang anniversaries. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's why when we wrote our outlook for 2011, we forecast that the, that the monetary crisis would begin and probably begin in, in Europe in, in 2011. And why did mm-hmm. we pick uh, 2011? Well, it was the 80-year anniversary of the monetary crisis of 19, beginning in 1931, which mm-hmm. also uh, began in Europe but by, and then spread throughout the world. So the whole system, whole monetary system collapsed. So we're, we're pretty much of the opinion that the whole world monetary system is going to do exactly as it did in the 30s, and the whole system will collapse, and we think the euro uh, will definitely go this year, will be finished. And, uh, so uh, we, we certainly saw a lot of problems for the euro, just to put it mildly, in uh, last year in 2011. Uh, I mean, it seems a little strange, though, that just because 80 years have passed that that would be the reason, but I guess W.D. Gann had, had discovered these patterns in nature in, in, over time, right? He did. He was probably, you know, at least as far as I'm concerned, probably the uh, one of the most brilliant uh, cycles people that has ever lived. Um, and he never completely divulged how he arrived at these kind of cycles. But I know that a lot of his work was attributable uh, uh, to, you know, reading the Bible. He said that all the numbers were contained in the Bible and so on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he was extremely uh, accurate in sort of making these kinds of forecasts. And, and 20 years in any derivative of 20 for Gann was a very important uh, number, as was 100 years. So, you know, 1931 was, uh, you know, 420s to 2011. Uh, and that's why, and if we go back and look, I, I wrote a piece in 2007 which I t- entitled "This Is It," and uh, basically saying in 2007 that this was the end. Uh, the whole banking system was going to be brought down, and uh, the debt mar- the, the debt system was going to collapse, and the stock market would peak and crash. Uh, we could make that forecast in 2007, essentially based on GAN anniversary years, because 100 years before 1907, we had a big stock market crash in New York. And that was really the precursor to the found, founding of the Federal Reserve in uh, 1913. And then in 1987, of course, we had the big stock market crash. 1957, we had a, a stock market crash. So there were all these anniversaries coming together in 2000, GAN anniversaries coming mm-hmm. together in 2007 that convinced us that that was the end. And, and so we were able to write that piece, and it was... It was pretty prescient because it, it kind of nailed it, you know, as to what was going to happen. So yeah. uh, if we look at 19, uh, nine, 2012, we, there is a very important anniversary in 2012, and that's the 1932 uh, 
bear stock market bottom, the big bear uh, market bottom that happened, you know, in the third Kondratiev winter. Mm-hmm. And uh, that bear market bottom in the Dow took 90% off the Dow's peak in 1929. So, mm-hmm. uh, so here we are in 1932. So we think uh, this year we're going to see uh, a very significant bottom in the in the, in the stock market uh, oh. into the 1932 bottom. Well, that's a very good place, I think, to uh, take a break here. We do have to do a, uh, a commercial break at the top of the hour, Ian. When we come back, I want to ask you about your forecasts for uh, 2012. Uh, I know that uh, 1931 was characterized uh, as the tragic year uh, in the Great Depression uh, because it was the beginning of the breakdown of the existing monetary system, and it seems indeed uh, very, very uh, astute of you to predict 2011 uh, certainly seems to be that the system does seem to be falling apart. We do have to go to commercial break when we come back. want to get your views on where we're heading this year. I'm not sure we want to hear it, but we better know. We better have our eyes open. Don't go away, folks. We'll be right back with Ian Gordon after the commercial break. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network in this climate of increasing global economic uncertainty just one safe haven remains precious metals led by a strong proven management team prophecy platinum is actively developing the well-green platinum group metals nickel and copper property a large easily accessible deposit in the yukon with an estimated resource of one million ounces of pgm and gold indicated and a further 11 million ounces inferred large deposit excellent infrastructure impressive drill results and increasing international demand to learn more about prophecy platinum and the well-green project. Visit prophecyplat.com. Paramount Gold and Silver is a U.S.-based exploration company with multi-million ounce gold and silver deposits. Paramount's primary asset, the Sleeper Gold Project in northern Nevada, is located in one of the world's most prolific mining districts. Paramount's gold equivalent resources stand at over 7 million ounces. Paramount trades on the NYSE under the symbol PZG. For more information, go to www.paramountgold.com. Paramount Gold is located for success in gold and silver exploration. Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the causes and solutions to underlying problems. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theory to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to triple the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has been in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights, call 718-457-1426 or visit MiningStocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters. 
business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. 